The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Fathers, we think about uh, standing in the power. Uh, we think about no scheme of man can pluck us from your hand. Lord, we praise you. We, pl- we pra- praise you for victory. Lord, and I pray that you would educate us about fighting the battle today as we look at your word. Help us prepare for that better. In your name, amen. You can be seated. Gotta admit, I'm starting off just a tad bit jealous. I didn't get a little earbud thing. What's the deal with that? You guys, you guys could do that and then like, you know, tell me where people are sleeping and I could focus, you know, attention, maybe walk back there and get their attention. <laughs> They're everywhere. Uh, that would be really, really depressing, but, uh, but we'll get over my, my disappointment. I'm pretty sure they don't give me anything that they don't have to because I break pretty much everything they give me. So, uh, so, so I don't think I'm going to be getting an earbud thing anymore. Man, I've been loving Revelation. I've been having a good time. Uh, thank you for giving me a job where I get to study in the Revelation and figure out what's going on there. We're going to look at 11 and 12 today. I wanted to say as kind of a word of encouragement, I approach Revelation a little bit scared. Uh, this is going to be a lot. It really has not been that much harder been a little bit more preparation but not too much and i say that because it has come clear and you guys know that i'm not all that smart uh so if i can figure it out and it comes together that uh, i want to encourage you with just how excited i've been about looking into revelation figure things out now we do need to remember a couple things as we go through and i've been trying to repeat these things one of them is remember the main things are the plain things or you could say that backwards the plain things are the main into Revelation, we keep trying to figure out what the ten horns are and the seven heads. I got that all wrong, but uh, you know what I mean. And we try to figure out what everything stands for. We're going to hurt ourselves a little bit. But the main things are the things that are plain. So that's what we want to focus on. Here's another idea that we're really going to need moving forward as we look at uh, Revelation. We need to remember that it is not all chronological. Okay, we've looked at, for example, we've already talked about the seals being opened. Well, the seals then led into the trumpets, and we talked about six of the trumpets last week, but we didn't get to the seventh, and today we're going to blow the seventh trumpet, but the seventh trumpet really contains really everything going through the rest of the way. It goes to the end times. It, it includes some judgments that are called the vials, and it, it really includes everything, and what Revelation is revealed in is the order that God decided to give us looks at different things going on in heaven and earth. It's not necessarily in chronological order, and I think that that's part of the reason why, if you've been around church world sometimes, there's different, uh, we'll call them theological positions concerning the Lord's return. Whether or not Jesus is coming back pre-trib or mid-trib, some of you are familiar with this, or post-trib. That's why maybe we're, because everything is not in chronological order and sometimes it's a little bit hard to put together. But we are going to go ahead and jump into chapters 11 and 12. And we are going to have a good time. Hey, by the way, one of the other things, in addition to the fact that it's not chronological, in addition to the fact that the main things are the plain things, one of the other things that uh, we want to remember through everything is the idea that as we look at the judgments of God, we need to realize that the one who is pronouncing these judgments, who is carrying out these judgments, is also the one who has provided rescue from those judgments. 
Okay, I'm going to say that again because you need to at least smile. You don't have to say anything, but that's so good. We need to remember that the one who pronounces these judgments is the one who has already provided escape from these judgments. Group smile. Okay, uh, that's, that's a beautiful thing uh, as we go forward there. And we continue to see, and especially in these chapters that we'll look at today, we continue to see the redeeming work of God. So we're going to look at two witnesses and then we'll talk about a world kingdom, and we're going to talk about warfare. I just wanted to show you that because you know how excited I get about alliteration. So here we go. First of all, then I saw, anybody see those words up there? No. I wa- then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations that they will trample the holy city for 42 months. We have that three-and-a-half-year period. One of the things that is presupposed in here is that there will be a temple again in Jerusalem. There will be an altar in Jerusalem. There will be sacrifice again in Jerusalem. Jesus talked about it. Daniel talked about it. Paul talked about it. It is definitely something that is going to happen there. And uh, during this time, also, we're going to have authority to two witnesses that is given, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, again, three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth. Now, sackcloth is not easy for me to say, but it's also not easy to wear, not super comfortable. It is usually associated with uh, repentance and, uh, yeah, contrition there like, like that. So the message is they are going to, uh, to preach this with a humble, uh, repentant spirit. And the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord on the earth. Or, I'm sorry, there are two. This uh, is a reference to, where is it, Zechariah chapter 4. And it, the olive trees provide a continuous supply of uh, oil to the lampstands that are going to continue to shine here for these three and a half years and these two witnesses. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours out of their mouth and consumes them. Isn't that exciting? Kids are in here today. Uh, And consumes their foes. And if anyone would hurt them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. And they have power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of the prophecy. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Now I want to stop there for just a second. So we have these two witnesses. One of the things everybody wants to know, I don't know why it's not all that important, but who are these two witnesses? There are three uh, three uh, major theories. The first one is that they are Joshua and Zerubbabel. And that's not all that popular theory, but I wanted to mention it because I wanted to say Zerubbabel. Uh, pretty fun. I just thought, I, I thought I'd mention that. Others believe that it is uh, Elijah and Enoch. Some of you have heard that because those are the two in Scripture that never saw death. They, they were translated, that they went straight to heaven. And some people believe, well, it's a point on a man wants to die. They didn't die. They get to come back. There you go. You got Enoch and Elijah. Well, it is a point on a man wants to die. That is the rule, but yet God does make exceptions in that people like Lazarus, he died, got resurrected. Anybody else in the Bible got resurrected, and those who are raptured, the church, will not see death in that way. So I don't really know that that's a hard and fast thing that we can say it has to be Elijah and Enoch. I'm going to go personally with Elijah being one of them and the other being Moses. And part of that is because of what we just read about the powers that they are given, fire, fire, and uh, drought are usually associated with Elijah. 
Elijah one time, Ahab sent 50 men after him. They were consumed by fire. He sent 50 more. They were consumed by fire. He sent 50 more, and they said, Ah, I have a wife and children. Could you not consume us by fire? And Elijah said, I like your style. Yes, I'll go with you. A uh, little paraphrase there. But, uh, the, uh, but he was associated with that. Moses, of course, associated with the blood. Uh, I'm sorry, the water turning to blood and the plagues. Uh, so I'm going to go with those two. But anyway, when they had finished their testimony, the beast... First of, wait, I need to get my facts right, 36 mentions of the beast. So he's going to come up a lot uh, in the rest of Revelation. Uh, that rises from the bottomless pit will make war against them and conquer them and kill them. So God has protected them for three and a half years, but now the beast is going to rise up and he is going to be allowed to kill them. All right, so three and a half years. Now what happens here in this story and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt. Symbolically, Sodom, which means it had turned to a lot of immorality. Symbolically, Egypt, which meant it had turned to a lot of idolatry, where the Lord was crucified, so this is Jerusalem. And for three and a half days, uh, some from the peoples and tribes and languages uh, will gaze uh, at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth, this is really weird, those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. Okay, now we'll explain exactly why, but isn't this pretty weird? Dead Prophets Day? I don't know when we're going to fit that in the calendar. I already saw a Christmas trees at Costco. I don't think we have room for a Dead Prophets Day. Can you imagine that as morbid wrapping paper? Here you go. <laughs> what do you get somebody for Dead Prophets Day? I don't know. Uh, you know, what is, the, what is the appropriate guess? But they're actually going to celebrate why they've been worshiping the Antichrist. But the Antichrist has had this burr under his saddle or this thorn in his flesh, these two guys that he can't kill. And finally, and they've been pronouncing these plagues upon the earth. And finally, they're like, hey, great, they're dead. Let us celebrate. Let us, let us rejoice because they're dead. And after three and a half days, they're, they're partying away. The breath of God enters them. They stood up to their feet, and great fear fell upon them who saw them. And then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at the hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified, and they gave glory to God. So these two and a half witnesses then are protected by God for the first three and a half years, and then God allows them to be killed, but God raises them back up. And you have to think that the other witnesses at this time are emboldened because, hey, wait a minute, you can kill me. It doesn't matter. God's going to raise me back up. By the way, that's what we can all say. You can kill me. God's going to raise me back up. Okay, I have eternal life through Jesus Christ. You can't take that, that away from me. But you got to think, you know, now that uh, there's going to be some, but you also might be thinking, hey, wait a minute. You know what? This sounds a little wacko. I think this guy's off his, off his tree even reading this stuff. But if I ever see this happening, okay, if I ever see this two witnesses thing and they're dead and then they come back, that's when I'm going to turn to God. Can I caution you about that thinking? Can I tell you that if right now you are not willing to live for Christ, it is highly doubtful that at that point you all of a sudden decide I'm going to die for him because that's what would happen as you begin to follow him. You'd face incredible persecution. In other words, I wouldn't bank on that. I wouldn't bank on that. that yeah, it's a, yeah, I don't, uh, I'm not going to follow him now, but if I see these things happening, I wouldn't, of course, of all, first of all, I wouldn't bank on the fact that you have tomorrow, but secondly, I would not bank on that fact. Now, before we move on, I want to take a couple quick observations from this. 
First of all, I am invincible until God is done with me. I don't know why whenever I say the words, I am invincible, I want to stand with a Russian accent. I don't know why. I am invincible. Uh, And then a bomb comes and hits me. I think I saw that in a movie one time. But uh, the idea is that if if I am on, you know, this isn't foolishness. I can do whatever I want and not take care of myself, not eat right or anything like that. But it means that I'm on the course that God has planned for me. I'm going to keep living. Okay, very simple. I am invincible until God is done with me. There's a story that used to be in the American history books about uh, the French and Indians, or in the French and Indian War, they called George Washington a ghost because they said, we kept shooting the man, and we know we shot the man, and he never died. I mean, it's like, you know, nothing ever happened, and he kept going. Now, I don't know if that was a case of supernatural protection or really bad shooting. I'm not not really sure what it was, but I do know this, that if we are on the course that God has laid out for us, until God is done with me, I'm invincible. Okay? And that means that I will die on time. You know, we always think, oh, we don't want to die early. I told you, I, I was talking to my son, I wanted to have a serious conversation. I said, Travis, I don't want you to worry about me if I die early. And he said, too late, Dad. <laughs> Apparently, he thinks that ship has already sailed. Uh, and uh, it's too late for me to die early. Sweet kid. Uh, love the kid. But, uh, but uh, you know, I've never really particularly been afraid of dying early. You know what fear comes in my heart sometimes is the fear of dying late. I don't want to, and honestly, I fear losing my mind and, uh, and then hanging around. I don't want that to happen. Now, my son might say, too late, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I knew you were thinking that. Uh, that ship's already sailed, buddy. But, uh, <laughs> but at the same, same time, I have to realize that God is in control of that. And he is going to do what is for his glory and all that. My life is not mine. My life is his. And he can decide when and if. So I'm not going to die too late. I'm not going to die too early. I'm going to die completely in God's perfect plan while I'm on his track. I am invincible. And this life, by the way, I keep saying this, is not my greatest possession. In fact, maybe we could say it's not even a possession. Let's go on to verse number 14. Finish up chapter 11 here. The second woe has passed. Okay, remember we had the trumpets. We had the first four of the trumpets, and then we had the, the two, the, the, and then they said there's going to be three woes. So the last three of the trumpets are called woes. We looked at two of them last week. Here's number three. The woe is soon to come. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there was loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world. I just said that wrong. No, I didn't. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Can we break into song? The kingdom of this no, uh, that'd be a beautiful thing if we could, but, uh, and, and sing that. So we're going to come back and look at the phrase and the significance of that today. But what this shows us is that this last trumpet is so encompassing, it's going to go right up to the time where Jesus establishes his kingdom. So that's why I say we got an overlapping of these different things going on here. Okay, so this new kingdom is going to be established. We're going to talk about that new kingdom in a second. And the 24 elders, here they are worshiping again on the thrones. This time they're falling on their faces. They're giving thanks. 
thanks to God Almighty who is and was and has taken this great power and he has begun to reign. And the nations rage. This, rage, this reminds me of Psalm 2 where it talks about why do the heathen rage? The people imagine the vain thing. And the, t- the time of the dead sh- to be judged for the rewarding your s- servants and prophets and saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven, let's look into heaven again, was open and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder, earthquake and heavy heel, whatever that word was. Uh, That stuff that comes down in chunks. Okay. Um, Okay. Now, I want to stop again here with this and I want to go back and talk to you about this idea of the kingdom of God being established on this earth because it is so important. I don't know how to say this. So important that we remember that's not where we are right now. Okay? Uh, In other words, we are not to that place. We are in a place where the wrong king is in charge and the wrong kingdom. And here's here's where I want to get your attention. No matter who you think would be a better leader, they're still going to be the wrong king. And we're still going to be in the wrong kingdom until Jesus establishes it. Okay, could you agree with me on that? Have you looked at the list of candidates? Uh, you know, the, the possible running the wrong king is still going to be there. And I don't mean to be insulting, and I really don't mean to downplay the importance of our role in being responsible citizens. And especially for those of you who are burdened and you want to get involved in politics, you want to run for office, or you want to you know, somehow serve in the community like that, I'm not downplaying that at all. But I, what I am tired of seeing is Christians fight and that the vision that's part of our country uh, come into the church and we're fighting all the time about political things. I'm tired of seeing that, to be honest with you, because that's not where our hope is. Let's get our hope off of that. This is not our kingdom. This is not his kingdom. We're always going to have the wrong king in office. Well, not if we had so-and-so. You've got to be kidding me. Come on. I've been around forever, and <laughs> if you want amen, fine. Uh, but uh, I've, I've had different times when I thought, hey, once we get this guy in office, you know, once the, the Democrats or once the Republicans take charge of Congress again, everything's going to be right. You know what? It hasn't worked out like that. It's real plain, and it's not going to. So let's stop putting our hope in that. I did want to say this, and I almost mentioned this a couple weeks ago. For those of us who are in Indiana, uh, in the 2nd District of Indiana, we lost a congresswoman uh, several weeks ago that I believe was a rarity because first of all I think she was a Christian who became a politician (laughs) not the other way around you know that goes yeah I'll be a Christian gets me some votes Uh, I think she was a genuine dedicated Christian who you know whether you agree with everything she did or liked her politics one way or another doesn't matter I think she really was committed to the Lord and, you know, and, that, that was, and, and boy, if that's what God calls you to, that type of life and that type of service, uh, I don't want to mock that at all. But I really do want to get to the place where we realize our hope is not in overturning Congress in the midterm elections. It's not. We're still going to have the wrong king in the wrong kingdom. That's just the way it is. Do you know how you'll know? <laughs> I read, I thought this was cool. I read this list of Ways that you'll know that the right king is in place. When you walk down the street and you never see, here's one of the ways, I just picked out a few of them. You never see a sign that says oncologist. You never see it. In fact, you never see a hospital, a mental hospital. You never see any of that. And there are no police. Now, not because they've defunded them or uh, voted them off or anything like that, but there are no police because they're not needed. 
Uh, the Bible describes a situation that is described in Zechariah 8, where it talks about children placed safely in the street. You know, send your five-year-old out. Dinner's at five. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot like that. And, you know, the safety that they have. And old people are safe in the streets and things like that. It describes that situation. We you know, where there is just peace and there is safety. You'll know that the real king's in charge because there will be no admirals or generals. There will be no presidents, prime ministers, first ladies, speakers of the house. You'll know that the real king is in charge. And let me, I'm going to stay on this for just a couple minutes here. Um, I want to tell you something that I heard Billy Graham say in an interview. And um, he was asked the question, he said, do you believe that America is a Christian nation? Now, you could make a long argument for, hey, America has Christian roots, and, and uh, yet you definitely can say that you know, some of its founders really focused on some Christian principles. And one of the things that you find over and over again in the, our founding documents is the idea that our government is set up to work when there is morality and religion. Okay, then, then that, is, that is key, and I agree with that. But Billy Graham said something, and this is Billy Graham, not the Bible, so you weigh it however you want, but Billy Graham said, no, I don't believe it is a Christian nation. He said, I don't think it ever was designed to be. Uh, he said it was designed to have freedom. So there's also the Jews and there's the Muslims and there's freedom in that. He said, we're not specifically a Christian nation. He said, I see it as a mission field. So when we're talking about the kingdom that we're, we're, we want there, we're talking about the time when there's a true king there. We're talking about his kingdom. Uh, that's the thing that's important there. You know, Joe Biden hit the nail on the head when he said, uh, sorry, I forgot what he said. So I wasn't doing an impression of him. Uh, I forgot what he said. Joe, Joe Biden hit the nail on his head when he said that there's a battle going on for the soul of the nation. <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, there's a battle going on for the soul of the nation. He's right. But I don't think it is exactly the way he meant it. It has to do with the souls of men. Billy Graham said, we're not a Christian country. If, you know, you can argue with that back and forth. But he said, we're a mission field. And that's how we need to see it. It's about his kingdom. And the best way to survive in a world with the wrong king is by submitting to the true king. The best way to live in this world and know the peace of God is by submitting to his rule and reign. Okay. I want to go into chapter 12 because I want to get to something here today that uh, will, will, I think, help equip us for the battle that we talked about a minute ago. A great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon and with the stars on her head were a uh, crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant. She was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, there was a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. And his tail swept down a third of the stars from heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman and w that was about to give birth, so that when she bore, he might devour the child. And she gave birth to the male child, who is, who is, the, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God, to his throne. Now, and the woman fled in the wilderness. I'm, I'm going to uh, just go back to a second, you know, real quickly. The symbolism in this um, is pretty clear, I think. The child is obviously Christ. He's the one who rules with an iron staff. That's mentioned several times in Scripture. The uh, dragon is obviously the devil that has been kicked out of heaven, described in Ezekiel and Isaiah. 
And the, uh, the woman, I think, not quite as clear, but I think is Israel, that God is going to use Israel to bring. It talks about uh, the, the word 12 is used in there to go with the 12 tribes and everything like that, that God has promised to bring the Messiah through Israel. But it talks about this war that is in heaven. And I want to go ahead and read through it and then, and then kind of jump to the end of what I wanted to say today. Uh, let me back up here again. Now the war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. <laughs> there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, and the ancient serpent who is called the devil and sainted, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ have come for the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. We're going to come back and talk about that in a minute here. And they have conquered him. How'd they conquer him? You ready? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For, their, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you that dwell in him. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for, devil, uh, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath. Okay, he's been cast down to earth with great wrath. He knows his time is short. Okay, let me explain a couple things that come out of this. God announced his plan of redemption. The devil is going to do everything he can to stop it. Okay, to begin with... Uh, well, maybe not exactly at the beginning, but I want to start with this. To begin with, Israel has been promised to be the vessel through which God is going to bring a Savior. So he's going to do everything that he can to destroy Israel. Much of the Old Testament tells the story of God's preser preservation of the line of Christ. A lot of that is in there to show that God is committed to redemption. But the devil continues to fight it. There is war in heaven. He hates Israel because of that. Then he's going to do everything that he can to stop Christ from being birthed born okay he wants to be the Grinch that literally stole Christmas okay he wants to stop that from happening and you can see that throughout history and throughout the, the Bible account of how he tried to stop that but he couldn't stop that and then he wants to uh, alter the way that Jesus was going to die so he wants them to die prematurely and then he wants to uh, in the long run keep that all from happening and once that does happen well then the resurrection does, it shouldn't take place and he, he has to stop that but he has been defeated at every turn so here he is cast out now knowing he's lost do you get it time is short and he's going to fight like crazy for everything he can so we look and we say why are you going to face a battle when, when, you, when you're at school? Why are we going to face a battle? Why sometimes is life so hard? Because there literally is a war going on. And we have this one who has tried to stop redemption plans. He's failed. He's frustrated. Uh, if you go back to that last verse, he knows that his time is short. So I wrote down there, so little time, so many to accuse. The accuser does, he knows his time is short. He's got to do everything he can. He still is, hates Israel big time. Okay, and we can see that throughout history. I mean, don't you ever just look and wonder why? Why Israel? You know, why is everybody killing all the Jews all the time? Because there is a war that is spilled over on earth, and there is a hatred for Israel. Real plain, it's, it's, gonna, it's there, and it's going to stay there. But I want to look at, just to make this real practical for you before we leave, I want to look at this idea of him being this, this accuser. Okay, he accuses, first of all, he started off accusing God to man. Okay, He's, did God really say? Now, when he does that, he has to lie because God is perfect. He has to come up with some things. So he accuses, yeah, does God really love you? You know, that type of thing. He throws that at us. Now, then he accuses man all the time to God. And you know what? I don't know about you, but with me, he doesn't have to lie. 
He can just find some things and say, yep, how about this? doesn't have to. And thirdly, we find that he gets us to accuse others. I wanted to point this out real fast. I did a word study on that word accuse, and the the word behind it is categorize. And it's kind of interesting because when we accuse, a lot of times that's what we do. We categorize. Your sin's worse than my sin. I don't really see my sin, but your sin, pretty doggone bad there, Uh, like that. So that that comes in there. But what I wanted to really get is back to that verse that talks about how this battle is won. We shall overcome, what is it, first of all, by the blood of the Lamb. Okay? So here's how that works. Um, Curtis, you haven't taken me out to eat for a while. Curtis, you've never taken me out to eat. Let's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Why don't you take me out to eat? Can we? Can we? Okay. Okay, we're going, the four of us. My wife wants to come too. Uh, and we're going somewhere good because it's been a long time. Okay. And uh, we go in and uh, I don't know where we go good. Um, Taco Bell. Uh, I don't know where we go good. But, uh, but, we're, but we're walking out. And, of course, I'm not paying because Curtis said he'd pay. So I'm walking out. Let's say somebody approaches me and they say, sir, you, uh, you need to pay your bill. And I point to my friend here, and I say, no, wait a minute. He paid for me. And Curtis says, sure enough, paid in full. There it is. Okay, here's the thing. We are, <laughs> we are constantly accused by, by Satan. He continues to bring up the things that we've done wrong. How do we overcome that? By the blood of the Lamb. It's already been paid for. Okay, I've been bought by a price. That's a, that's a settled thing. Don't bring it up to me anymore. Get that garbage out of here, Satan. That sin has been paid for. So in this battle, I say, no, wait a minute. Stop digging that up. But you don't deserve to have a successful marriage because of this, this, and this. Shut up, Satan. My sin's been paid for by Jesus. Okay? Just shut up, buddy. You've lost. The battle's over. And if we seem around here obsessed with the blood of the of the, the blood. Christ, I want to become more obsessed. In fact, next week we're going to review this a little bit as we start off and then we're going to do the Lord's Supper next week. And because we want to stay obsessed with that idea because we win because we plead the blood of Christ. This is not something that you know, once applied. This is a permanent application of his blood. And we say, first of all, I win because of the blood of Christ. I want to claim that. And then by the word of our testimony, I remember what God has done in my life, how he has changed my life. Here's how this works. I bought these things a couple weeks ago. See, I got my new hip, and now I want to walk straight. So I got these super-duper arch supports. I'm not going to tell you where I got them. I'm not doing a commercial here. But if you want to know later, I'll tell you. But they're, they're thick and expensive. But I'm not kidding. These are good I mean, I'm like, this is great. I mowed the grass yesterday. Afterwards, I was still feeling good. Usually after I mowed the grass, I was like, ah, hurt. Uh, and this, these are really good. I'm really excited about them. Now, if you were to come to me and tell me, hey, wait a minute. My Aunt, Aunt Dorothy got those arch supports and she died. They had to cut off her legs and uh, everything like that. I don't really care. Do you know why? Because I've been wearing these babies. And they've been, they, they've been good. And I need to wash my feet. Okay. Uh, but, but honestly, you know, you look at that and you say, you're not going to change my mind because I know the difference that these things have made in my life. You're not going to change my mind. The word of the testimony, I know what God has done in my life. Okay, shut up, Satan. Get out of here. Uh, 
Take your lies out of here. First of all, all my sins have been paid for. Secondly, I know what he has done in my life. I know the difference he has made in my life. Get out of here. And the third thing it says is these people did not love their own lives, even unto death. In other words, their life wasn't their most valuable possession. Have I said that before? And I'm going to keep saying that because that is so important that we realize that this, we get a focus on eternity. This life that we have is not anything. What can Satan do to me? He can't threaten me with heaven. Okay, And when I stop and I realize that, that I don't need to live in that fear of death, and, and I get like that, folks, this is how the victory is won. By the blood of the Lamb. By the word of our testimony, I know what He's done in my life. And hey, <laughs> really can't hurt me, Satan. This life isn't all there is. This isn't my kingdom. This isn't His kingdom. The true King is coming. Okay. You can have your fun now, but uh, I think I just read here that your time is short. So, uh, so you better have your fun now. And that's exactly what we see happening. And this, to me, answers so many questions about life. Now, I'm going to ask uh, Adam and Hannah to come back up because we need to sing about the battle again. We need to fight and fight on our knees. Amen? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. <laughs> uh, but with that, I want to uh, remember last week I told you I was going to stop apologizing. Well, I have to apologize for one more apology. <laughs> and uh, you know, Josh said, Pastor Dan and I have been working hard to get ready for life action. Not true. Pastor Josh has been working hard to get ready for life action. Pastor Dan kind of went AWOL this week. I took a couple days early in the week, and when I came back to go to work, I got sick, and I wasn't around very much. So I, And the other thing that I totally forgot is that the kids were going to be in here today. And I somewhat apologize for that because, you know, usually I try to be a little creative in something I do. Uh, more than just taking off my shoe, which I have no idea why I did that. Uh, I could have just told you about my art support because it's really uncomfortable right now. But, uh, you know, but I, but I, I really, um, you know, there, like I said, I thought, you know, Revelation, okay, this might get a little hard and a little detailed and everything like that. But I read this over and over again, and I just see the redeeming work of Christ, and I see the power, and I, and I see so much explanation for the things we struggle with. Man, this earth stinks. Well, yeah, it stinks. There's a war going on in heaven, and it's spilled over on earth. And Satan's down here in his last days having as much fun as he possibly can. How do we win? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Sorry, there actually is a song like that. Uh, but uh, so we're going we're gonna to sing again and, uh, and talk about how we're going to fight and fight on our knees. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.